This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film news. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home News Writer Ryan Scott. Happy Monday, everyone. How's it going? It's going good. I'm feeling better. Um, it sounds like you have some construction going on. Yeah, so I uh, rained a little bit here in uh, in the old Austin, Texas parts this weekend, and I had a fun little roof uh, leak in my ceiling uh, that was like right by my bed in my bedroom, and my office is right by my bedroom, uh, and right now they are currently <laughs> fixing it, so there might be some errant banging or things of that sort uh, during this episode. I apologize. I will do my best to minimize that on uh, y'all's end. but Well, hopefully they get that fixed. I've had a leak in my condo for like five years now and uh it, it the good news ryan is it doesn't rain that much in los angeles like we <laughs> we are in a drought i mean that that, I, that shouldn't be a good news but that that is the good news for me because it only happens once a year that the, the yeah. water comes down from my ceiling but the timing uh, for the timing for this was great because we're supposed to have a bunch of rain all week so i'm like oh perfect uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they work that out and uh, hopefully the banging isn't too loud for our listeners. But OK, let's get into it. Uh, as with every Monday, we like to hear, you know, what, what happened at the movie box office over the weekend. Uh, yeah, so um, this was a very quiet weekend. Um, the only wide new release this weekend was Memory, the new, the latest Liam Neeson action movie that if you're having trouble keeping track of these, you're not the only one. Um, he's had six movies come out over the last two years. Uh, uh, this one, um, you know, directed by uh, the great Martin Campbell, known for his work on Casino Royale, among many other things, but uh, made just $3.1 million, debuted at number eight, you know, very small impact here. And, uh, you know, the bad guys, the animated flick from from a DreamWorks and Universal repeated at number one. But when your number one movie of the weekend only made 16 million dollars, kind of, you know, kind of a quiet weekend, all things considered. So um, really, truthfully, the big story is everything everywhere all at once, which actually jumped by two percent this weekend and finished with another five point five million. It is now at thirty five point four million dollar uh, thirty five point four million domestic against a $25 million budget. And again, I must emphasize uh, that A24 sold off the international rights to cover the budget. So they are definitely in the green now. And uh, word of this is like one of the rarest of rare types of holdovers that the industry has ever seen, even like pre-pandemic. Uh, yeah. This thing is holding like gangbusters. And 
if it can continue to do this, it could finish with as much as like 70 million domestic. If, if wow. it ends up hold. No, but that's like, that's at the absolute top end. Like that's if it does like six cents type holds where like, if it just goes, goes, goes. But the thing is, they're not asking for a lot here. When you're looking at maybe trying to keep the ball rolling at around 5 million a, a week for a little while, you know, and especially if this gets a re-release around Oscar season, th- this could do insane numbers. So uh, it's probably going to end up as A24's highest grossing movie domestically ever. And, uh, that, you know, good news for original movies. So that that's that's one of the good things to come out of this weekend. Other than are, that, are, kind wait, of- are, are, are they continuing to roll that out to more theaters? Is that why it's like going up? No, so that's why it started to go up originally. So they did what's called a platform release, which you don't see as much anymore. So a platform release, for those that don't know, is what will happen with a smaller movie like this is you'll roll it out and let's say like L.A. and New York first. Put it on like 10 screens. It makes some money. Then the next weekend you put it out in like 100 theaters in like some other bigger markets. And the idea is what you're doing is you're building buzz, you're building word of mouth, and you're building up a little bit of cash flow to help with that original with that initial marketing. and the idea is that the word of mouth can help these bigger movies once they finally get, or once help these smaller movies, once they get into more theaters and get an actual wide release, everything everywhere all at once has been in wide release for three weeks now. And it has hardly dropped at all. That's the big thing is that word of mouth is carrying this thing now that it is in officially in wide release. Well, that is crazy. You know, one of my biggest fears after, you know, when this, after this pandemic uh, started to subside a little bit was with, with, within like the, uh, the movie industry, I should say, because my biggest fear would be like us all dying Um, within the movie industry is that, you know, the movie landscape would only be these big blockbusters that that would be the only thing to be able to survive post pandemic. But uh, this movie right here is showing that that's not the case. Uh, Do you think that's an outlier? Um, in some ways, uh, I do think it had the right confluence of things. Again, $25 million is not an unreasonable budget. Uh, it was a very, clearly the proof is in the pudding. Like critics and audiences are both in like the 90% range on this in terms of like approval rating and stuff, if not higher. Like, so clearly you just had a great movie, great idea, great execution. Um, I, I think the platform release worked here because I think some of these smaller movies have just tried to go wide out the gate and, and that kind of dooms you a bit. So I think the notion of going back to a platform release for these movies is probably the way to go. Um, uh, yeah, I think a lot. I think it kind of comes down to to the the a perfect storm a little bit, but also like there are more universal lessons you can take here. You know, I bitched quite a bit about the Northman last week just because that $90 million budget kind of doomed that movie out of the gate. So, you know, for, for these slightly more, slightly less guaranteed hits, you kind of got to maybe manage, manage it from the business side first to sort of set yourself up to not fail. And I think that like this movie not only set itself up to not fail, but it's really delivering beyond that, which is cool. So I think, you know, there's some hope here for the future, but it all comes back to that initial, you know, the people writing checks need to be responsible and, you know, th- this was a good example of everything working. Yeah. W- one thing we didn't get to mention last week is Shazam Fury of the Gods has changed its release date. It's been pushed. It, uh, <laughs> it wants to get out of Avatar to uh, what is the title? Avatar The Way of Water trying to get out of, uh, I guess, Avatar C, Pandora C. Uh, do, I, I guess it only pushed for 
a week, right? It's a week after Avatar 2 hits Not theaters. even a full week. It's five days. Five days. Is that enough? Or do you think... What are your thoughts on this, right? I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, when the when Initially, when Shazam 2 got moved up, because Shazam 2 was supposed to come out like next summer, and then when Warner Brothers shuffled its release dates around, Shazam 2 got bumped up to originally December 16th, which is when Avatar 2, a.k.a. Avatar The Way of Water, comes out. Now... You will see a lot of people on film Twitter being like, oh, Shazam, uh, nobody cares about Avatar or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it is probably going to be the only movie to ever cross $3 billion at the box office because Disney is doing a big re-release of Avatar before the sequel. And given how much the re-release made in China last year, there is a big indication that a lot of people still care about this movie that aren't on film Twitter and don't, you know, your average moviegoer cares. So even if it makes a third of $3 billion, it is one of the biggest movies of the last handful of years. Avatar yeah. 2 is going to make a ton of money. All due respect to Shazam. I love Shazam. It made a little over three. It made like, I think $360 million worldwide. Now, granted, the sequel has massive breakout potential. It can do that John Wick to John Wick chapter two thing where because of good word of mouth and everything else, the sequel makes a lot more money, but it won't do that if you are getting bulldozed by James Cameron. So that five days maybe gives you a little bit of a better prospect on your opening weekend, but Avatar two will not be done with what it's going to do within that five days. So yeah, yeah. I like that Warner Brothers is at least like giving it a little bit of cushion, but I, I honestly think this is a bad move still. And I I do think it's kind of, you know, David F. Sandberg, the director's had a bit of a sense of humor about it on Twitter. And I appreciate that. But I think that Warner Brothers is shooting itself in the foot here. And I think it's kind of unfair to, to Sandberg for, uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think five days is nearly enough, but I think it at least helps you a little bit. Yeah. And uh, this week we have the new Sam Raimi movie. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness coming out, which is going to do huge business at the box office. But 20 years ago, we had another movie from Sam Raimi that you you wrote about on Slash Film uh, this week. Was it this week or was it last week? Uh, came out over the weekend. It was this weekend's weekend. edition of Tales from the Box Office, uh, my column, which you can check out every Saturday. Uh, but yeah, so I... Uh, uh, just so happens that tomorrow is the actual 20th anniversary of the first Spider-Man movie, um, which is a big deal. Uh, you know, I talk about in this week's column that, like, yes, Blade came out in 1998 and gave Marvel its first ever certifiable hit, uh, but still an R-rated movie based on a character very few people knew. In 2000, X-Men came out and gave a much more mainstream hit to characters people knew, but if there is a watershed moment in superhero movie history that says there is the point of no return, it was in 2002 when Spider-Man hit theaters and, and it made $114.8 million on its opening weekend was the, which was the first time a movie had ever made more than a hundred million dollars in a single weekend. Um, it was unheard of up to that point And, you know, it finished its run with, uh, 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 821 million worldwide, one of the biggest movies of all time up to that point. So, you know, that pales in comparison or, you know, that uh, X-Men, which made like $300 million worldwide pales in comparison to that. You know, this is the moment where Hollywood realizes, Oh, these can be, these can be real big things. And it took a few years to really sort that out. But yeah, th this, this is the watershed moment in modern blockbuster filmmaking. So it's a yeah. big deal. 
Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, speaking of directors of those initial Marvel films, the director of Incredible Hulk, Louis Leterrier, I I can never pronounce his last name. I'm I'm so horrible at pronouncing that last name. But um, he... He has come aboard to direct Fast 10, which we talked about last week. We talked about uh, Justin Wynn uh, left the project suddenly during filming uh, of it. And we, we now have uh, his replacement, which I, I know last week we were talking. I was talking to you and you had a whole list of of names of possible replacements in uh Lewis's name did not make the list, but you know, now that he's been announced, it seems so obvious because he's such like he well, number one, he's one of those guys that's worked with Universal before. Uh number two, he's able to he's one of those guys that can come in and uh you know do, he can do a job. He can go in and film a movie and he's very competent at that and he can he can uh you know probably uh you know spend a year <laughs> next to some some uh i don't know how you want to put it some uh you know working with some people that maybe uh rub people the wrong way and he, he can come out the other side uh you know with uh you know what 10 20 million dollars in his pocket uh <laughs> having uh, d- uh d- dealt with that uh d- Brian, what are your thoughts on the new director of Fast Ten? Uh, he's French, I know, so it's I think it's Louis Leterrier, something like that. But Leterrier, yeah, yeah, but I can't. But anyway, so um, even though he was not on my list, he very much fit the mold of the type of director I was sort of pitching. In that, like, you know, available has proved they can make a big movie. <laughs> um, you know, can kind of get this sort of thing done but also not like flashy enough to, to cost too much money. Cause the one thing to look at is Louis hasn't had a breakout theatrical hit since 2013 with now you see me now he's done a lot of TV. His biggest thing is he did the entire season of uh, dark crystal age of resistance for Netflix. So the guy can actually make some quality entertaining mass audience stuff here. So like, that's not bad. Uh, and again, yeah, you, you know, people might forget universal pictures originally distributed distributed the incredible hulk so so he directed and worked for them and it does it does make sense he seems like the kind of guy but also like again like i said he goes in for nine months he doesn't have to make a two-year commitment here he gets to cash a gigantic check and for a guy like this the bigger thing here is when you haven't had a hit movie in almost a decade this then gives you an automatic guaranteed hit and puts you right back on the a-list and get you right back in the conversation for bigger jobs again so this is more about to me the next movie for him than it is this movie obviously he's going to cash a fat check for this but i think that's my big takeaway is that this is like this for this kind of director this is what gets you back in the game in a really big way not to say he hasn't been working but you know it's a different ball game when you're talking about making a guaranteed maybe billion dollar hit yeah Okay, so last week we learned about that uh, of Lynn leaving Fast 10 in this week, or actually it was um, at the very end of last week after we recorded the podcast, we also learned that John Watts, the director of uh, the Spider-Man uh, movies at the, uh, in the, the MCU uh, Spider-Man movies, is no longer going to be directing Fantastic Four for Marvel. This was something that was announced 
I think at it was one of the presentations a few years back. Um, but he, it was that dreaded Disney Disney Investor Day on December twenty. Oh yeah. Uh, and for those we say dreaded a lot for a lot of people that were just watching it was kind of exciting because a lot of news came out of it. For journalists that were covering that, none of us expected it was going to be what it was, and it ended up being a nightmare for anyone working in a newsroom that day. Yeah, and uh, we we don't know why. There's a, a joint statement um, from Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige, co-president uh, Louis uh, D'Esposito. Uh, it says, collaborating with John on the Spider-Man films has been a true pleasure. We are looking forward to continuing our work with him to bring the Fantastic Four into the MCU, but understand and are supportive of the reasons for stepping away. We are optimistic that we will have an opportunity to work together again at some point down the road, making these three. Oh, and uh, Watts said making these three Spider-Man films was an incredible and life-changing experience for me. I'm eternally grateful to have been part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for seven years. I'm hopeful we'll work together again, and I can't wait to see the amazing vision for Fantastic Four brought to life. So I guess the biggest question here is, why did he step away? Do you think, I mean, you know, he's done his work. You know, I remember years ago at Sundance seeing Cop Car, uh, you know, in a small theater at Sundance and being like never thinking that that director was going to go on to direct Spider-Man movies. And, you know, he's directed three uh, of these Spider-Man movies, the last of which it was, you know, a fun, like a box office phenomenon. Like, it, it, it like I feel like he's graduated from the Marvel formula, the Marvel uh, the Marvel Studios formula of getting, you know, a great director who has had like a good indie uh, film to come on and uh, you know lend their vision to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But like, I think now he's like on another like he's graduated to the to the next level. You know what I mean? Like he's beyond the like uh, he's just there and like he he needs the work. Like now now he probably his name after No Way Home can probably get movies greenlit. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Like why do you think he stepped away from Fantastic Four? Uh, I have several. I mean, look, I I I, I can only. I don't want to speculate too much because that sometimes that's a little reckless. Yeah. I think I think the biggest thing is not only did he make three Spider-Man movies, you got to keep in mind, Spider-Man Homecoming hit theaters in 2017. It's 2022. Three gigantic blockbusters, one after the other after the other. That is an exhausting marathon, especially <laughs> with like how crazy the production of No Way Home must have been with not knowing the schedule and, and as big as that movie became and the COVID of it all. Like The dude, good, he let him go take a nap. You know what I mean? Like, cause the thing is like, fantastic. Do you think he's actually going to take a nap? I feel like we're going to learn like, you know, two months from now, we're going to hear like, you know, John Watts is directing a, uh, a star Wars movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's something big is going to get announced right around the corner. And I, I think he, you know, when he committed to this probably three, four years ago, whenever it was, I know it was only announced like what, two years ago or whatever. Um, I'm betting you, he saw this as his, what he thought could do the business that no way home did. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like now that he's done that, he wants to go on and do something so that he could have more of a, be more of an author of. 
were I think working on with Marvel Studios on. I I, I know you're saying uh, you, this could be reckless speculation here, um, but you know working with Marvel Studios on a, like a new franchise that's going to be as big as like you know their brand of Fantastic Four. You don't get all like you know it is a collaboration, and I feel like John Watts. I I think at this point like maybe thinks like. You know, again, this is speculation on my part. This is all speculation, but I, I feel like maybe he's earned it to to have more of like the uh, an auteur say on on some kind of big film coming up, and I I think we're gonna see that. Well, that's but. absolutely true because I mean he's got that movie that Apple bought that has George Clooney and Brad Pitt attached to it. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So that's but I mean I think because I think the difference is like. I agree with you. I think he's absolutely going to get attached to another big movie and it could be Spider-Man four because Tom Holland doesn't want to do Spider-Man right away. So Sony's not going to have this out in 2024. Like, you know, they haven't like they've had a Spider-Man movie out every two years. I don't think that's going to happen with the next one. So like, so I think like he might be able to get the Sony might be able to keep him for the next Spider-Man and he might get his break still. So if it's not Spider-Man, I agree with you that I think he's going to get attached to another big movie. There's no way he doesn't. But I think he still gets his break from making a gigantic blockbuster. Yeah. And like, you know, like and that's that's, I think, a key. And I think he also gets his authorship. We already he already has that movie in, in, in the hopper. He's also producing final that Final Destination reboot, I believe, for HBO Max. Like, I just think that, like, if he stayed on Fantastic Four, because that movie that movie is probably going to start gearing up sooner rather than later. So, I mean, he would probably have to roll right into that again. And yeah. so, I mean, I, I imagine that just would have made things pretty chaotic for him. And he wouldn't have had as much of a choice to explore other things that weren't a collaboration with Marvel. So, you know, that that kind of I see why he left. And I think that. John Watts is a hell of a superhero filmmaker and I, and I, and I, and I would have liked to have seen what he did with this, but I I'm also very curious to see what he does. And I don't think it doesn't strike me as anything where there's hard feelings on either side of it. Okay. Uh, you know, the, I said the first question was, you know, why did he leave? And I'm, I'm sure we'll never get the answer to that, but uh, reading these statements from both sides, it seems like they both, it, it doesn't seem like, um, one of those things where it's like an amicable split and they're just saying nice things. Like I really believe that they're going to work together again on another Spider-Man movie down the line, like you said. Um, But the other question I had is, you know, who should direct Fantastic Four? They obviously, you know, when Kevin Feige was at CinemaCon last week, he was saying that they were in the middle of uh, a retreat where they were planning the next 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm guessing Fantastic Four is probably a big part of that. that I mean, that's a guess on my part. Um, and, you know, you'd, you'd think you'd want to get a director in there sooner than later because Fantastic Four was, you know, like you said, was set to t- start uh, taking off pretty soon. So I thought, like, let's put together a list of directors we think could – uh, or would be good for this. And I, I think the first one to come to mind because of this conversation in this podcast, I, you know, there's a guy that was directing Fast 10 that left that, that is a good director. And the director I'm talking about is Justin Lin. You know, he's obviously shown himself to be able to handle a franchise uh, before with the Fast and the Furious movies. He came in and someone else's franchise was uh, Star Trek. Um, he, I don't know, I, I think... He could be perfect for being able to launch this next stepping stone for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What do you think about Justin Lin? 
I mean, he could obviously do it. You know, I just think the thing is that, like, if you look, he, you know, he came in, start, did Star Trek three. He, he's, he's done several sequels for Fast and Furious. You know, if you look at his work outside of things that were already sort of going, I'm less, I'm less sure of what he's able to do. But there's no question he's a guy that like could absolutely do a movie on this scale. I'd be very curious to see what he does with a little bit more like being the guy that starts a thing. You know, obviously it's part of the MCU, but we haven't really had like a good Fantastic Four movie before. So like, you know, and this is really one of those last like true A-list superhero franchises that hasn't had its full potential tapped yet. So there's a lot of opportunity here. It'd be interesting to see him do it, but... He also kind of plays within like sandboxes that, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess he is kind of the guy that had the vision to turn Fast and Furious into what it was. And I, I guess it'd be interesting to see if he had a take on Fantastic Four that's like, no, no, this is what it can be versus what people have interpreted as um, he, he would be. He would be a, a, a very reasonable and unsurprising choice. Do you have any uh, ideas on who could replace Watts? Yeah, I mean, and you, you and I, I think you and I had the same thought. Is is that the the, the guy at the top of every? And I've seen that we are not the only people to think this. Peyton Reed is sitting right there. Uh, Peyton Reed has directed all three Ant Man movies. Uh, but what many people may not know is that Peyton Reed, back in the earlier two thousands, had attempted to get a Fantastic Four movie made, and he wanted to make it badly. Um, this is a guy that has turned a franchise turned to stepped into an ugly situation with that first Ant-Man and managed to make a trilogy that has made a lot of money out of a character that maybe didn't speak to box office success, even with the Marvel universe. He also directed some of the best episodes of the Mandalorian. This is a guy who knows how to do this stuff and he's proven it. I think that like, I think it would almost be unfair of Marvel to not at least talk to Peyton first. You know, like, cause, cause I feel like yeah. he's done a lot for them. And I feel like if he wants to stick around in the MCU, this seems like, this seems like, and then it creates a nice narrative too, right? Like, you know, I don't know. So I, I think I, 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 I wouldn't be su surprised at all if he's the guy to do it. Or, and at the very least, if he didn't at least get talked to about it. Yeah. And he's also the, like, he's also a fan of the Fantastic Four. I remember seeing like a photo of him at a Comic-Con many years ago before he was a director, like wearing like a Fantastic Four t-shirt or something. I could be misremembering that, but um, the other, like I'm thinking of other names that would be perfect from Fantastic Four, the Daniels, after seeing uh, everything everywhere all at once, like seeing how crazy that movie is and how they were able to have a handle on every single aspect of that. I feel like, Fantastic Four needs that craziness. What do you think about the Daniels? Uh, I don't think they'll do it. Uh, I think they've already kind of talked about um, not not wanting to do that sort of thing. And so, like, I think Marvel would love them. I think that I think anyone I mean, I think anyone in Hollywood right now is they probably have more offers on their desk than just about any directors working right now. But. I think they're going to, that being the case, they're going to be able to be very picky about what they do. This is just my guess. Um, yeah. But, that, but, uh, but, you know, they were interviewed a lot for everything, everywhere, all at once. And I, and I got the sense that they, they were not very interested in doing this sort of thing. 
they want some authorship over what they do and and you know so i think i think i think like not to like again this is just me wildly speculating dc right now seems more poised to be able to just let people do things like they have avenues to sort of be like hey you just got an idea cool we can do that you know like so um it would make more sense almost to see them do a dc film at this point than it would to have them have to play within a set of parameters. I think it would be amazing. And I think it would be a good get for them. I don't see it happening though. Who else would you like to see? Again, look, I'm just, I'm just the guy looking at what's in front of me and saying the obvious things, but like John Krasinski has had a couple of gigantic hits. He knows how to do this stuff. He's extremely popular People like him. He clearly wants to work with Marvel. Marvel clearly wants to work with him. There have already been issues of Fantastic Four that made Reed Richards look like John Krasinski. Um, I mean, you know, this has been the Internet's choice for Mr. Fantastic for a long time. And I think you'd be far more likely to get him to do it if he was also directing the movie. Uh, I don't know. I know John Krasinski's busy, but. This is, again, like sometimes the obvious choice isn't always the bad thing and it's the obvious choice for a reason. Yeah. Uh, You know, like, again, I know that's unexciting to a lot of people, but like, you know, like a lot of people that do what we do. But like there's a reason it's an obvious choice. So I'm not saying I'm not pitching some sexy, exciting thing here, but that's that's kind of wrapped up on a silver platter if they want to go that way with it. Well, speaking of obvious, would Brad Bird be too on the nose? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, he did the Incredibles. He he's already done Fantastic Four in a, in a, his own way. Brad Bird made the best Fantastic Four movie we've had. Yeah. Uh, would do you think he would even be interested in no. Fantastic Four? No, no. I, I, I think that's the thing is he's already kind of done this. I think he makes a lot of sense. I don't think it's too on the nose, but I also think his live action turns have been a bit messy. Uh, Ghost Protocol, the Mission Impossible movie he directed, maybe my still my favorite of the bunch, but very famously Same. needed to be like saved by Christopher McQuarrie and like, and, and obviously Tomorrowland did not pan out. So I'm, I'm actually not super sure about Brad Bird as a live action director anymore. Um, but yeah, I also just think that this, this is going to, this would strike too similar to areas he's, he's dug into before, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they like approached him about it. You had one more name on your list for I, the potential fantastic four director. I didn't. I feel like this is another one that like that, like people would be like rolling their eyes about. But like, uh, you know, if we recall a few weeks ago, my my gloating and, and loving uh, review of, of uh, Coda, which won Best Picture this year, uh, Sean Heater, uh, the uh, director of that film, uh, as well as episodes of, you know, TV shows like uh, Glow and uh, and Orange is the New Black. Uh, she, I mean, again, the type, type person that Marvel might go after. Right. Look at what happened with Chloe Zhao. No man, you know, well, now granted but, she was. But the, this this seems like the type of person people like Marvel might go after after for like, you know, a first film for a standalone character. Like Fantastic Four seems like such a beast of a, uh, you, you really think they would? I mean, I guess they gave Spider-Man to John Watts. They gave Spider-Man off. to John Watts and Eternals. I think that they thought was going to be, you know. Uh, what Chloe Zhao yeah. look I think Eternals was great actually but like you know it didn't pan out for Chloe Zhao but like th- the way that everyone had hoped but like I also think they thought that was going to be like you know a Guardians type thing where it was going to break out and you know so I don't think they're they would at all 
shy away from from giving someone like this. But but she seems to fit the mold of the type of filmmaker they look for at this moment for this type of thing. And uh, I think the biggest thing with Fantastic Four, like the biggest lesson we learned from the 2015 movie is like it. This is not a dark and broody franchise and it shouldn't be. Um, there needs to be some element of like fun and, and, and in there and, and dark and gritty doesn't work for this. And, and I think Sean Heater is, is the, a great type person to not do dark and gritty. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I, I would like, I would very, I like that sort of vibe that Coda had of just like unabashed, wonderful feelings. I feel like you could imbue a little bit of that into you know, Marvel's first family. And and I've always wanted to see this set as a period piece. I would love to see a 60s Fantastic Four movie. And I don't know if that would be the take or whatever, but, you know, you, yeah. yeah. So that that would be my other, that would, my, that would be kind of my last suggestion there, but who knows? I, I'd love to see it period set. Um, but okay, so this episode we've had, we've talked about Fast X getting a new director. We've talked about Fantastic Four losing its director. And for our final story for today, the killer gets the same director again. Ryan, tell us about it. Yeah, this is kind of a this is kind of an odd one. Um, so like, there's a 1989 film called The Killer that you know John Woo directed. And by the way, if you are listening to this and you have not seen The Killer, pause this podcast, go rent, find this online. I'm sure it's somewhere, and watch it, and then come back because it, you you need to see it. Yeah, so so very highly regarded among among John Woo's work, but now, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about streaming wars and such. Well, Peacock is getting into original movies in a much more significant way, and uh, one of their things is a remake of John Woo's The Killer. And most interesting thing is that John Woo is going to be directing it. So you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this has happened before, though. Like, let's let's not pretend that like this is this is something that has never happened. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, the Ring was directed by the same guy who directed the original. Uh, no, not The Ring. Which which one? Am, what am I thinking of? Is it The Grudge? I think it was The Grudge. The Grudge was directed by the same guy that directed the original m- movie. That yeah, yeah. The Grudge was based yeah. off like so. So like this has happened before, and The Grudge worked out really well. Like I, you know, why not have the guy that? Plus, it would be interesting because like the original came out in 1989. So you get like a chance for John Woo to sort of revisit his past as as the filmmaker he is currently. I think that's kind of an interesting thought. It, it's just so interesting to me because John Woo is such a different filmmaker now than he was then. And not to say that he's better or worse, but back then, like, you know, this is one of the, the films that made him, you know, that kind of uh, got him to become an action director in the U.S., right? Like this is kind of like his uh, a film that brought him uh, the, the people saw it and then like it brought him stateside after that and i feel like modern day john woo is trying to be more of an auteur like he's trying to be less of an action director of this fight getting you know he keeps on getting pulled back in because that's the where the money is um so i don't know it doesn't feel to me like modern john woo is as interested in making the movies that young John Woo is making. Do, do you uh, get that sense? Yeah, no, no. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. But again, I think the intrigue of, for him at least as a filmmaker, like, you know, cause so many filmmakers like view their old work in a unique light. 
And for for the right kind of filmmaker, it's got to be an interesting prospect to to revisit your past. But by being able to like sort of like recontextualize that work within the artist that you are then, you know, like like the worst version of this might be like, imagine if George Lucas got to remake Star Wars, you know, like just entire like top uh... to bottom, you know, like. But no, but I mean, like, that's an example of like a guy that views the work differently and has, evolved, you know, so like. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there are people that would probably be interested in the prospect of, you know, revisiting their past. And I think John Woo would be a more makes for a more interesting case of what is like modern John Woo's the killer look like versus 1989 John Woo's the killer look like. You know, I think that's an interesting idea, at least. See, now you're making me think of like what other directors would I like to see go back and remake one of their early films. Well, like, like, yeah, but what you got to look at is like, which one where, like, maybe it, it's not even so much about the filmmaker. Like maybe the resources weren't there. Maybe a couple elements didn't come together. Cause I don't think what you always want to do is like, let's not remake something that worked like gangbusters completely the first time. Like maybe something that was almost there, but then like could use like a little bit of that extra thing. So, so you have like uh Steven Spielberg going back and directing 1941 again. Well, I don't think 1941 even almost worked. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, like, yeah. I, I, yeah. But like, could 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 modern day Spielberg make it work? Is the question. I feel like that would be the challenge. But I don't. I don't think anybody would do that. I think if we're gonna get a remake, it's gonna be a movie that people care about, like The Killer. Yeah. If yeah. If, if you give it, if you give Spielberg another crack at one, I know people would like level me for this. What I would want to see. I'd want to see Spielberg do Hook again. And get hook because like hook. <sighs> I like hook. No, I, I know wanna... you and you and everyone else who yeah. who has a. I don't know. I I hook doesn't work. Hook hook has a brilliant. Yeah. Hey, hook is a brilliant idea that doesn't totally work. And I would like to see modern Spielberg like actually really make it work. Although I know a lot of the charm of hook is that it was made when it was made and whatever blah blah blah. But. <laughs> You know, but like I, I, you know, for me, like that would be the one I would like to see a version of Hook that actually works and doesn't just work because people feel nostalgic about it. But maybe always. No, I don't know. Uh, okay. Anyways, we're getting distracted here. <laughs> we're getting you, way off. Yeah. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.